0: It was very very tempting to say, well, you've just got to get your squat up from 160 to 220 and you're going to accelerate better. You've just got to get your RSI from 210 to 300 and your top speeds going to be better. That was my mindset and that was quite sophisticated from a strength point of view, but it just overlooked you know um, the mechanisms of force transfer, where energy can be lost when the foot hits the ground.
1: Welcome to the Pacey Performance Podcast, the podcast that dives into the philosophies, ideas, and practices of some of the best practitioners in high performance sport. I absolutely love getting guests on the Pacey Performance Podcast that have got incredible experiences in strength and conditioning, and John Pryor is definitely one of those. So, John is a bit of a legend of strength and conditioning, having worked in Japan and Australia for head coaches such as Eddie Jones, and now working as senior strength and conditioning coach at the Wallabies. So, we kick off this episode looking at some of the people that have influenced John across his career. So, from Warren Young to Vern Gambetta, and more recently with Franz Bosch. And it's Franz Bosch. And his influences where we dive into some of the practices and ideas of John when it comes to speed and agility training. So if you're looking to improve the speed and agility of the athletes that you're working with and have maybe hit a bit of a plateau or are trying to think a little bit differently, this episode is definitely for you and John definitely gets into the weeds of the Franz Bosch methodology and how he's been able to take what he's learned from Franz and implement it in various different environments that he's worked in. This is an absolutely superb episode that I just know you'll love. This episode of the Pace Performance podcast is sponsored by Hawking Dynamics. Hawking Dynamics is the world's first wireless force plate testing system. The Hawking Dynamics system is built for coaches to test in the real world, not just in the lab. Capture reliable data on all your athletes in a matter of minutes and monitor their progress in the cloud from anywhere in the world. The Hawking Dynamics force plates are wireless, portable and trusted by teams at every level of sport. Integrating force plates into your athlete monitoring program has never been easier or more affordable. If you want to see the Hawking Dynamics force plate system in action, head over to their website hawkingdynamics.com to schedule a demo or follow them on Twitter at hawkingdynamics. This episode of the podcast is also sponsored by iMeasureU. iMeasureU is used by leading sports practitioners and biomechanics researchers worldwide to capture and compare multi-limb inertial data in the field. IMU Step from iMeasure U is a dual sensor and app lower limb load monitoring tool which helps practitioners optimise return to play for running based sports. iMeasure U have just released their new and improved waterproof sensor Blue Trident which includes ultra high G capabilities to quantify high impact steps such as cutting, landing and sprinting, longer life battery to collect data all day, real time feedback to aid immediate interventions, and faster workflow so practitioners can review long training sessions within minutes of training completion. iMeasureU, now part of Vicom, works with military, pro and collegiate coaches and athletes from around the world, including the Australian Institute of Sport, the US Department of Defence and collegiate and pro teams from around the world. If you want to get to know more about iMeasureU, head over to their website imeasureu.com or follow them on Twitter or Instagram at iMeasureU. So without further ado, over to the episode with John Pryor. John Pryor, welcome to the Pace Performance Podcast. Thank you for giving up your time to uh, to have a chat this morning. Hi, welcome, mate.
0: Afternoon for me, of course, but
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely, I, exactly, exactly. We've just got a, a little bit of light coming through the window here, so it's uh, it's uh, it's a pleasure to chat to you, mate. And looking the part in the in the facility, it's looking well.
0: Yeah, no, it's a great, it's a great spot. It's quite a long story as to how I come to use it, as we discussed. But um, no, it's good. Yeah, it's a good little workspace.
1: Nice, mate. So you're working at rugby Australia with the Wallabies. Has rugby yeah. always been? Has rugby always been your your sport?
0: So I've been with rugby now since about 1996, before you were born, mate. But uh, <laughs> not quite. <laughs> my, not thank my, you. My, 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 my dirty little secret is that I've actually never played rugby. I never saw a game until I was 26. Didn't know back from a prop, but I love anything to do with running and everything to do with fighting. And I saw actually I saw rugby league first, rugby league and rugby, and I just I just loved them. I uh, got a job with rugby, the only club rugby here in Sydney, and and I've pretty much been with rugby ever since. Um, yeah, I grew up playing Aussie rules. The town I came from, part of a very awful cold part of Australia. There's no rugby. We never even heard of rugby. Uh, you play Aussie rules if you're a bloke, and netball if you're a girl. Although back in those days, now it's different. Um, so, yeah, rugby's my game now, I bet I, I'm passionate about all running sports and all fighting sports, I guess, and I kind of see rugby as a combination of those with, with a lot of skill and tactics thrown in. Yeah.
1: So you ever been involved in any specific fighting sports?
0: Not really. I, um, I competed in track for quite a while, sort of decath and, and sprints and discus, and then when I studied my master's degree, I, I went, up, went up to northern New South Wales and there was no – uh, track and field, so I took up kung fu and kickboxing and got into that for a few years, um, but not, but no, no, not not a great competitor or anything like that. Just just a bit of fun, um, but it was very very influential in my informing, you know, part of my broader SNC and C philosophy. Um, so, um, but yeah, look, as, as young as I can remember, I just I only cared about two things: was who was fast and who was tough, and I used to drive my brothers and sisters crazy, you know. Who's going to win if a crocodile fights a shark, and who's going to be faster out of a, t- a tuna fish and a leopard? And, <laughs> they're,
1: the and, uh, <laughs> they're the best. They're the best. And I still, I,
0: I, lo- I love distance. Like people, I'm in, I'm in power sports and I've always worked in that area, but I, I love marathon, distance running, 10k, yeah, all, all the disciplines of running. So, um, yeah, those things kind of uh, became useful, I guess, when I moved into rugby because I, you know, combat. Uh, Physical, you know, combat skills and uh, locomotive skills, be it agility or speed, have always been a passion. So, um, yeah, kind of, well, good fit for me, really. I, I mean, equally, I've done a little bit in the league, not as much in the league, and I, I kind of like probably the a lot about the mentality of, of league, sometimes more so than rugby. But, um, yeah, yeah, I love them. I, I go back now and watch AFL, which I grew up with, and I, I have no interest in it at all. It's become quite... Mm-hmm. Um, game of fitness and very little physicality. So, yeah, I'm still here, 51 years of age. A long time later, I'm still in rugby and, uh, yeah, still enjoy it.
1: Just out of interest, for someone that's never worked in rugby or rugby league, what's the difference in mentality?
0: Uh, look, I think it, well, it's probably um, it's a, it's a bit of an oversimplification, but, you know, you're probably a private school, public school, working class, upper class. That's the history of it. And now it's a little different, but there's a long history to that. And I mean, yeah, if I go to, if I go and work with a, a rugby league club and say we're going to we're going to do this, and we're going to that, right? Let's get into it. If I go to a rugby place, where people want to know why and how far and how long and is it going to be hard? And that that's the history to it. It's it's definitely less so now. And I think, um, but definitely in Australia, one of our challenges is to get our training culture in rugby as tough as it is in rugby league. I think we're probably a bit, you know, in some ways a bit more sophisticated than the training systems, but rugby league's got a toughness and, and also the nature of the game it's it's a pretty simple game played by tough blokes um so you know if, if if you were to come into three rugby league clubs over here in australia and three rugby union clubs at the moment at this point in time the league league clubs train harder and are tougher and, and that's something that we've got to you know we've got to address in in rugby and we've, we've got to catch up a little bit um we, we certainly have good level of training sophistication, but um, yeah, it's a, it's a tougher culture at the moment. If, if we could ban rugby league in Australia and pull all the rugby <laughs> league talent back to rugby, we'd we'd I'm going to say we'd beat the All Blacks and, and, and all in sundry within five years because our toughest guys and a lot of our good athletes are getting pulled to rugby league. The, the problem is we're, we're the number four code in Australia, so rugby union's a very small sport. I mean, when I grew up to the age of 20, mid-20s, I didn't even have any awareness of it. It's um, below... Soccer below AFL, below rugby league. So it's it's quite a small sport. So, you know, the Wallabies batted above, above um, you know, their natural position for a long time. Now we're down to number seven in the world and we've got to work out how to make that, you know, bridge that gap and get back to where we want to be, the top or the top couple.
1: In terms of culture and having that, then requests from how far, how high, what we're doing, that that questioning that you mentioned the rugby union side, is yeah. that good for is that good for your development as a coach working in that kind of environment? Where people don't just players don't just say yes, let's go. They actually question what you're doing or not? Is that frustration? Uh,
0: no, it's a good question. Um, I think it is. Yeah, I think it is when you when you when you're younger, you know, because you've got to be able to answer those questions. But you know, in SC, mate, there's times there's times for talk and times for complicated explanation and there's times when you gotta rip in. Um, I, I like to make a really in my in when I coach anyway to have a really clear delineation of which sessions are about detail and and finesse and which sessions are just about grit and digging deep and and uh, in those kind of sessions I don't want to hear any <laughs> I don't want to hear any questions of that nature. Um, but I think in, so, a, in so, Australian rugby we we created a bit of a problem, yeah, you know, right. And when it went professional, I think maybe '96 or thereabouts. <laughs> You know, we started educating about overtraining and educating about, you know, stuff that they didn't need to know about. <laughs> they just needed to train harder and, and develop tougher culture. So we you know, we're partly responsible for the that sort of period where I think um, you know, rugby's kind of trained, certainly at a level of intensity lower than the league. The the game's inherently more complex, you know, so um, yeah, but I I think it's it's a good question. You got you've got to be ready for those questions. Um, but you've also in some sessions you got to tell people to shut up and get to it.
1: Do you make that clear to the players on a on a programming level when they see the the timetable? They know that this is a I don't know how you term it, but like a hot hot session. That this is yeah. just get it done. This is going to be high intensity. This is not a time for. Not yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I mean, we'll, we'll we do, come to we this it. stuff later. But if
0: I'm if I'm teaching some coordination stuff, which is largely influenced by Franz Bosch or, and and similar, then they will know that it's about detail and and there's intensity to it, but it's not a metabolic intensity. It's a it's you know 4 speed coordination. Um, whereas if it's you know if we're doing what we call contact conditioning and, and simple reload off, uh, off deck kind of fitness, then yeah, that's obviously there's not much detail there. It's, it's about grit, intensity and effort. So, um, I think as a coach to make those things really clear is a, is a good thing.
1: Mm-hmm. So just diving into some of your, some of the people that have influenced you over the years, it was actually Warren that sent me your email address oh, yeah, okay. to come on the podcast. Yeah. So Warren stitch up, but, um, but he—he was—he's been a big influence on your career. Do you want to tell us a little bit about how? Yeah, look, I didn't. You know, it's funny. I didn't.
0: I haven't really thought about that until recently, and even more so when you mentioned it. Um, yeah, I, I grew up in Ballarat, which is about as shit cold places you can get in Australia. It's um, it's it's a pretty ordinary place in uh, Central Victoria. Um, I grew up as one of ten kids there, and and the local university was Ballarat University. So I, to be honest, I signed up for human movement, not thinking too much about it um yeah warren was a lecturer there he probably was only in his mid 20s late 20s um and you know this is 1988 long time ago and uh, strength you know strength conditioning strength science was non-existent and um warren was a lecturer there so by my second year of undergraduate he was doing you know we had weight training advanced weight training advanced weight training biomechanics mixed that was all just Warren Young creating those units. Um, yeah, I'm surprised he still talks to me because he used to do advanced biomech, advanced weight training on a Friday morning and Thursday night was the big night in the university free uh, happy hour all night. So I used, to, I used to rock yeah. up to his to his lectures with a hangover and absolutely give it to him, like just hit him with questions because he, he's uh, he's he's not the most confident bloke. So you can I could rattle him a fair bit, but. he... <laughs> I'm, I'm joking now, but in, in retrospect, it was it was ahead of its time what he was presenting. Um, you know, he was you know he was teaching us about the fundamentals of, of strength conditioning, about the fundamentals of strength science. I think he developed the RSI, Reactive Strength Index, Speed Bound Index. He brought Charles Poliquin to Ballarat. Charles Poliquin, who would have been late twenties at the time, big beefed up bloke with plenty of knowledge. I mean, that was cutting edge. I have no idea how he got him to Ballarat because we weren't exactly a a big university, but when I, when I, when I look back at it, when mainly, you know, when you sent your your notes through, um, yeah, Warren was very influential, um, because at that time, you know, I don't think there was anyone else, certainly not an undergraduate talking about, you know, strength diagnosis, strength assessment, you know, all that kind of stuff. And Warren was, Warren was teaching us that in undergraduate, which was great. Um, and I was always active. I was, you know, I mean, I didn't have any fucking clue about, excuse my language, about anything. But I was coaching shot putters, uh, hammer throwers, and Highland Games throwers simply because I had a book on strength training, and no one else in Ballarat did. And uh, and you <laughs> know, using using Warren's knowledge, I mean, I was you know coaching on the back of his information at a, at a very wow. young age. And yeah, he was great. Um, don't know that I've ever actually thanked him really, but he was. Um, uh, you know, running stuff that was way ahead of its time. He invented a squat protocol, which is basically a force plate. You'd be in a Smith machine. It was isometric, so you the Smith machine's locked in place and you're going to jam yourself up against that bar and then force plate obviously is measuring RFD, max strength, all that kind of stuff. It was fantastic in theory because you think you've got a force curve, you got initial RFD, max RFD, you got time to 300 newtons, time to 1,000 newtons max isometric strength but if you think about it i used to call it an iq test because what sort of bloke's going to jam himself into an immovable object as fast
1: as he can <laughs>
0: so a couple of back injuries later warren adjusted it to you know to using a dynamic <laughs> but you know he, he was he was uh, he was a pioneer really um so that was a that was oh, i was lucky to run into him and to run into that and at the same time i had a mate affectionately known as stumpy who was a decathlete So while I was learning from Warren, I was learning, you know, the disciplines of track and field from this guy. And, you know, you grew up in a provincial town like that in Australia. We didn't have the resources. There was no YouTube, no Twitter, no internet. So we were just getting old books. and, and, And certainly Warren was, you know, by far the most informative source in those times.
1: Next question, nothing to do with Warren, but. You were one of ten kids, did you say?
0: Yeah, one of ten, and five, five of each, and I was at the bottom of the barrel. So, um, I was always looking for ways to beat my brothers up. And I bought a, bought a dumbbell set and a speed ball, a bag, punching bag when I was about fourteen, and set to training to try and get my older brother. <laughs> I think if you're from a big family and you're at the bottom of the system, it's it's a natural, natural thing to, yeah. you know, to want to get better and want to physically compete and, um. Yeah, you know, it was great. It was a great upbringing. So we were in Ballarat, but also had uh, our property, our farming property was just outside Ballarat. So um, yeah, it's pretty lively upbringing, I guess you'd say.
1: Nice. So the 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 influence of Warren, and I like to ask this question for people that have been not to no disrespect, people have been around a little bit longer yep. than the average age of, yep. of a strength and conditioning coach. What's changed? What's changed over that that time period of you been in the industry from? Did you say 1988,
0: you were doing the undergrad. So I did undergrad 98, sorry, 88 to 90, and then I started my postgrad 92 to 94. Um, a lot's changed. Uh, I think yeah. you know, for us old guys. Um, yeah definitely I, I hate it when old guys just say oh, everything was good in my day and it's shit in your day I, I actually think it's the opposite for me we, we certainly had to work hard to get information so I mean I had to go to the library and I found a book on running by Percy Serity, which was published in 1956 which still informs a lot of my philosophies of training now but we had to seek information and, we, and it was a bit of luck what individuals you ran into I mean I, I wrote some notes out to, to answer some of your questions and when I look at it now You know, I was pretty lucky to run into Warren at that early stage. I think you guys, you younger fellas, you have the opposite. I I feel sorry for you actually because you you jump on Twitter and you've got so many experts and some good ones, you know, Jonas Dodo, what do you know, good experts. Then you've got these other guys and you have such a plethora of information available to you. So, and when I speak to young guys like yourself and, and younger, you're familiar with so many different people's names and topics and experts on training load and velocity based training. But well, I think the challenge for you guys is working out which ones you need and what kind of coach you want to become. Because otherwise you can just be in, in words only, familiar with all these topics. But actually what the, working out which ones you need to advance your – your cause as an individual coach, I think that's the challenge for you guys. Um, with so much information, I mean, I'm, I'm a laid-back guy. I'm not a, I'm not a stress cat. But I, I, the one thing that does stress me, is I'm sitting down, just kind of unwinding at the end of the day. And then if I leave Twitter on, and I see this research by, what's the Frenchman, JB Moran, and you know, and then yeah, yeah, yeah. it keeps popping up and it keeps popping up. I think oh, I should read that. Oh, I should read that. And that does stress me. We've not many things to do and. So I just kind of—I've uh, made a conscious decision in the last few years to really minimise, um, even your own great podcast. You know, I, I, I'm very judicious with what I select to listen to now because, at the age I'm at now, I've—I've I've defined what kind of coach I want to be. And I think um, if I had any advice for the younger younger SEs, it's you know, do a little bit of a self-analysis. What are you, what are your traits? What are your qualities? What are your things that you could become really good at? Cause it's, and it's also harder for you guys because when you get your first job, you're expected to be able to handle the GPS, you're expected to be able to do you know, load management systems. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's the main difference is that um, – and, and also um, there's more of you applying, well, if I advertise a job now, I've got 30 of you guys for a low-level job and it's tough. So I think – I reckon the younger SCs you know, work hard to have a point of difference because those point of difference are hard to come by. For me, I kind of realised early on that that you know I was energetic sort of person, and that that energy and intensity were were part of my you know modus operandi, I guess. And um, I've developed a style of coaching and found individuals to help me. You know, intensity and and um, specificity are my go-to things as a coach. So. You know, I need to do whatever I need to do to be yeah, energetic and lively when I'm coaching. And then specificity means I've got to go and find the individuals to make sure my training content is highly specific. So that's why I've chased down the Gambettas and the Boschers and people like that. So, yeah, I reckon as a young SC, try and work out what kind of coach you could be, what your point of differences might be, because um, yeah, I think you guys have got it much harder than us, actually, rather than the other way around.
1: When I spoke to Aaron Coutts, And thanks, thanks their, for not calling developing. me an old
0: bastard. But he, he said, he'
1: ought. <laughs> <laughs> No, absolutely not. When I spoke, to, I spoke to Aaron Coots, He he mentioned about developing, and he was talking about a similar topic for for younger coaches, developing a a solid bullshit filter. And I think that's more important than ever because all this information is getting thrown from every single direction. And yeah. I think, and this is from my personal reflection, probably. Six or seven years ago, got very, very overwhelmed yep. with the amount of information that was there, and going, hell, it looks like everyone knows all this stuff yep. coming from all these different directions. Obviously, everyone projects their best self on Twitter or Instagram. It's or easy, mate. And see, even in this, this interview now, I, this, I, I, man, I can act man. like
0: an expert, and you're not seeing my training. You you can't actually double check on it, so oh, I can I can crap on. So I thought when you when you're listening to a, an expert, and, and there are good ones, you know, there are good good ones about, but how do they know what they know? How long have they been doing what they've been doing, and what's the evidence of their success? And also, I just think, you know, I was I'm pretty sure I was born with a really good bullshit detector, and um, I just, you know, really cautious and judicious with whose information I take on board. And even if, even if that information, I may have done my homework and found out uh, what's the guys Altus, you know, a couple of guys at Altus, pretty some pretty good individuals. They they're using some methodologies that I just not. I'm just not familiar enough with it. I haven't put enough time into it. I haven't been there coaching with them. So I'm just not going to use it because I've developed my own, you know, system as far as the team sports environment's concerned. So I think being really judicious with what you invest in. So I listen to your podcast a lot, but I'll listen to it while I'm driving or doing something else. And if I, if I stumble upon an individual who, okay, I really, then I'm going to go back to it and listen to it. Probably then I'm going to chase that guy. Then I might make contact and, Offer a trade or whatever. But um, mm. this idea, you know, I run into a lot of young SCs, and the idea if I say, oh, you know, do you know about this guy's velocity based, sorry, velocity based strength systems? And they go, yeah, 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 yeah I know yeah. that. You know about Franz Bosch, Chip, yeah, yeah, I know that. So they have in, in word understanding of everything. But in terms of being able to execute it in your training environment, it's, it's another game altogether. Um, mm. So, yeah, it, it's the toughest challenge, I think, for young SCs
1: just one last question on this jp i'd like to get your, your opinion point of difference developing a point of difference for a younger coach yeah what are the points of difference that you see that are attractive to you as a senior strength and conditioning coach and therefore as part of a, an em, employer because yeah. you're making a decision on who comes into your your organization what are the points of difference that are really key to you now and how is that developed over time because these obviously changing rapidly with the amount of data that people are generating and therefore having to analyse and interpret and all that kind of stuff. But what what point of difference would attract you to a strength and conditioning coach?
0: Um, You know, a specific skill set. So if you had a young guy, I work at Suntory in Japan, which I've been with them, quite since 2008. Um, young English S C Ben Eisenstein, Eisen, whatever, Eisen something. Good young fella. He you know, he, he can he can handle GPS, he can he's good solid strength and so forth. And and um, you know, I just said to him he, he likes doing a bit of jiu-jitsu and wrestling. I said, Well I can go away and make that strength so I can take I can have you take contact conditioning sessions so that as a head of performance, I'm not a head of performance, I'm actually a consultant, I go in and out, but as a head of performance, if you say, if you can take something like that or you might have a bit of a, a background in yoga and flexibility, and I know that, you know, you can handle your GPS, you can pick up cones like we all can do and you can handle other stuff, but you're really red hot on flexibility and mobility and you can take a recovery session. Because I think authenticity is, um, it's, it's self-evident. If I send the guys to you for a flex session and and you're looking down at the sheet every five minutes and, okay, here's the next one. You know if you've really put time into it, and if you uh, really I'm not talking about being an expert as in elite yourself, but if you've invested time, uh, if you've invested and you therefore know the intricate details of that content, then that, that's a point of difference. It might be flexibility, it might be you know, speed, might be speed tech, might be wrestle combat stuff. Uh, I think in you know, I think in football. I think running efficiency, coordination stuff. I think in football is um, is a massive area to be exploited. And I know a few guys are starting to drift into that space. Um, yeah, GPS. I mean, those things are they are specialisations, but shit, every bloke just about you know can do that um, nowadays. And I think you probably wouldn't get a job unless you can do those essential things.
1: Yeah. Yeah, maybe nutrition as it's well. That's I mean, become essential.
0: Yeah. We've, we've got a you know, young – no, he's not young anymore. He's probably mid-30s with the Wallabies, um, Warwick Carrington. Um, very intelligent. You know, He handles the GPS. He does some really, really interesting analyses because he's, he's, he's an analyst background, but he happens to have used to have been a kickboxer and a bloody good one. Um, and he's grappled a bit as well. So, you know, in the Wallaby environment, there's a guy with a significant point of difference. I can send guys to him for you know combat conditioning, and there's there's no question as to his authenticity. He's invested time in that. Um, we can't all be that. We can't all be speed guys and tough guys. But there are there are lots of little areas in there out there, you know, inclusive of nutrition. And I personally would rather my nutritional advice coming from you know a, a man or woman who, who lifts weights, who's invested time rather than having a nutritionist come in who's stick thin and only ever starved themselves to be 50 kilos and, you know, and, and is just gonna read the same text to each player. So um, yeah, specialization, it's probably a bit rude, but um, yeah, I really think that point of difference is a big thing. I remember when I've been, we'll come to it later, but I've worked for Eddie Jones for nine years across across my last 20 and um, he sent me to, to see a guy, by the name of Neil Craig, who I think is now with, uh, he's now with England Rugby. At the time, he was the head of Adelaide Crows AFL. He was a, he was a top sports scientist who became a coach. Anyway, I went to meet him and he's like, yeah, who the fuck are you? What are you good at? What's your training environment like? And I kind of sat back on my seat and then he goes, and before you answer, if I ring 10 players, will they back you up and say the same thing as you? Mate made me realise two things. One is that you know you've got to define for yourself what kind of coach you are what your training environment's like, and what specialist skills that you think you've got, because you can't be everything. SNC's moved on so much in, in, in when I started. Yeah, you would do, you would do everything, and if you had a specific skill set, that's great. But I think um, yeah, much more difficult now. But I still think those points of difference will probably get you over the line, because everyone looks. When I'm looking at thirty CVs, a lot of them look the same
1: it's interesting i've just written down their hobby because it seems that those point of differences can be like you say the authenticity of something that someone's taken up on their own back, off their own back maybe something they've done as a child that's come through and the thread running through their life whether that be jiu-jitsu or they be like sprinting they used to be an ex-sprinter used to be an ex rugby player a decent level all these kind of things people can't really forget them threads that run through their life because those can be the points of difference whether you were a I don't know an age grade rugby player and you kind of you were, you were decent you' were looking for an SNC coach job in rugby like having that playing experience that you may disregard those are the things that can be uh, like you say the point of difference that that get you the job and keeping the job and and a really you're drafted in for those specific because you've got that specific knowledge and experience that maybe the staff don't have yeah so look that's, it, that's, I think it doesn't only apply it to the practical
0: it. It, it also applies to you know to bodies of knowledge you know yeah. a body of knowledge but I'm not talking about just reading a Twitter feed and one paper if you want to invest in a body of knowledge then really invest in it and um, and I think that kind of that kind of authenticity to me it shows through um, mm-hmm. yeah so And it's hard, isn't it? It's uh, it's a hard thing to do.
1: It is. It is. So you mentioned Vern Gambetta. What influence has his work had on you?
0: So I'll take a a step back from that. I mean, when I finished my master's degree, um, which I was lucky to run into Greg Wilson, Wob Newton, and a guy called Mark Fisher, who runs Swift. They were all at Southern Cross Uni. So I actually finished that. And then I got a... Uh, a national-funded PhD in, in industrial ergonomics, so I had no. I was, I was actually going down industrial ergonomics because it looked like a safer career path. Um, so I was two years into a PhD and, and was going to be an industrial ergon, ergonomist. Um, I happened in Australia. We often, I do anyway, go on long road trips for ten or twenty hours through the from north to south, and I was driving from Ballarat to Byron Bay. Mate of mine called up and said, oh, he was in Canberra and at a coaching conference, track and field coaching conference." He said he could sneak me in the back and I'll come and have a listen to this day too. I got there and there was a bloke named Kelvin Giles presenting. Um, You've obviously heard of Kelvin Giles, yes. I hope. So that yeah, Kelvin he Giles, it, I don't think he even he wouldn't even know this story, but he, he would have been at his peak. Then he would have been in his forties, big wiry, muscular bloke, and he was taking a, a conditioning session for track athletes. <clears throat> And he was schooling him and big, big, loud, strong character. And uh, and I just looked at that and thought, yeah, that's what I want to do. And so mm. at that, at that and I also felt, yeah, I've, I've, I'm not the same as him. I'm not as big and strong or as loud as he was, but I, I felt like I could do that. And so I then kind of made the shift at that time and looked for anything I could get. Happened lucky enough to get a job at um, uh, New South Wales Department of Sport, at the Sydney Academy of Sport, and that was my point of entry. Um, so he was probably the first bloke that I saw that made me think, yeah, well, I want to be an SNC coach. Um, I haven't had much to do with Kelvin, so I'm not pissing in his pocket to be nice. He, he hasn't, I haven't worked for him or with him at any club ever, but I just thought he was, he was the ducks nuts when I was, uh, you know, when I was at that age. And so then I sort of was actively seeking SNC. I, I was lucky in that at Southern Cross University when I did my master's, there was, um, You know, Rob Newton, who's probably pretty well known now, Edith Cowan and Greg Wilson and these guys. I mean, I don't think I've ever saw Rob lift more than a 10 kilo dumbbell, but he's a bloody sharp researcher. And not only that, he was a computer programmer. So he instrumented this Smith machine called the plyometric power system, which had electromagnetic brakes on it. We had a force plate below it. We could could switch this brake on and put 300 kilos on it stand under it and then we'd flick the switch and it would squash you into the force plate so you that was my master's degree there's no way I'll be allowed to do it now but um you know he he (laughs) he, he actually engineered all this technology so that was a fantastic learning experience I I did my research on eccentric isometric and, and concentric RFD in that squat protocol upper and lower body and then related that to athletic performance so the good and the bad, the good was it was really got me down that path of strength science. The bad that it was really kind of rectilinear thinking in terms of my comprehension of force was all vertical force, horizontal, simple kind of stuff. When I got to the Academy of Sport, I was, what was it called, a sports analyst. Um, and then I was I was also coaching a squad of sprinters um, and they were super strong. I got people really strong. We had, RFD is good, VJ is good, power for days. Bulgarian 140 squat, but when when they were running, they're just like rectilinear robots. here you know, they just go. Kind of... So you know, I you had guys running super strong, run 10 sixes, couldn't get them faster. I had you know 400 meter runners who could run 300 repeats in the same time, but they were. I I kind of just had a gut feeling that I I was good at developing um, you know traditional strength qualities, RSI, you know, your or all, all those parameters. But I had a gut feeling that I didn't really, there were coordination elements I was missing. Um, and so I started seeking an ind- individual who might know, you know, who might sort of be in that space. And that's kind of when I found uh, Vern Gambetta, not, not found in person, just found his books and I just read everything I could get, which wasn't much at the time, and got these crappy old VHS videos of, you know, again, better method, and and um, I mean that you, you know, if you watch them, and I think um, Hammer Media, Big Martin, posts some of Vern's Vern's old clips now, which are quite fun to watch. Um, Yeah, it was. I just looked at it. I thought it was fantastic. So I wrote him a couple of letters, not emails. There was no email or the email might've been just starting about then. Wrote mm-hmm. him a couple of letters. I went around to my boss and everyone I could get and cobbled together. I think I even contacted Lachlan Penfold, who was at Queensland and we, we might've got a thousand dollars together. And I said, listen, can you come to Sydney? And I got Vern Gembeller out to Sydney. And I mean, I drove drove to the airport, picked him up, got the best accommodation on the beach I could get without much money, but did everything I possibly could to make him feel welcome and happy. And that was a big change. I mean, before all the complexity that I've learned with with Franz, you know, Vern was preaching the movement before muscles. You know, this, he was preaching the mantra of coordination, not not exclusive from strength, but, but preaching the mantra of, you know, be considerate of coordination and strength and, and the best match possible. That was pretty you know, groundbreaking at the time. And I think there was a lot of people in the in the NSCA who hated his guts, you know, because he was preaching something very different from squat and clean and it'll take care of everything you need. So he, he was my first mentor, really. Well, I guess retrospectively, Warren Young was certainly one, but, but Vern was fantastic. And, uh, you know, from the back of meeting Vern, I think I brought him out to Australia three times. Then he introduced me to, you know, Jimmy Radcliffe's work. And I, I remember the first time I had – my track athletes, and um, I took Vernon a session and put these guys through a session and he just sort of shaking his head and he said, man, you guys have got no rhythm, you've got no coordination, they look like robots. And he was he was complimentary also because we, we were quite advanced in terms of, you know, we had blocks, starting blocks instrumented with force pads, so we actually had total impulse and exit velocities. We had a vertical speed strength system, had so invented the speed bound index with Warren Young, um all this kind of stuff but in terms of you know rhythm coordination finer details of you know what the pelvis is doing where energy might be be being lost through inefficiency i didn't know any of that and Vern kind of got me started on that and um yeah forever grateful
1: you've mentioned the speed band index twice now and i haven't picked up on it to ask you a little okay. bit more detail on it. Would you mind just going into more detail on what it is? Yep, yep. So if you think
0: about um, you know, if you yeah, you know, whether you're a footballer, as in soccer football or rugby player or a track sprinter, I mean bounding has been around for a long time. So 10 bounds for distance, so a good guy's gonna get 30 meters plus, so et cetera, et cetera. We we looked at that and obviously it's a it's a specific power metric, but because of the fact that you're trying to optimize distance in every step. You know, you'll be overstriding, you'll be hitting your foot a long way out in, the, in front of the center of gravity, it can be big braking forces. So, from a coordination point of view, you can argue that it's either, you know, detrimental or, or non specific. If you go to speed bound index, so then we mark out that 30 meters. Now I'm going to measure your number of strides, but I'm also going to measure the time it takes to get there. So, going back to my squad guys, if they're in good shape, they're going to get there in 12 bounds and four point something seconds. So four times 12 is 48. There's your score. Uh, if I put you on it, you're going to take 15 bounds and take six seconds. That gives you a score of 60, and that's shit. That kind of thing. So <laughs> you might be good. I might be getting it wrong. So, but, the, but so what no, happens no, no, is you're what, 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 correct. what you end up seeing is, um, you know, much more specific sprint positions. Your, your, your foot's a little more active pre-contact. Um, so the distance is not quite as long. Speed's higher, so you know the, the chances of it having a, a positive influence on your sprint uh, performance are, uh, i mean much greater i mean Franz and i've had a few arguments over the years because he still thinks there's a non-specificity because you're still trying to optimize that stride length swing leg retraction and foot contact pre-ground is he would still have some argument but but dean benton who you may know of and, and myself mm-hmm. and i'm sure a number of other people have used it with good effect for many many years particularly in, in, in our rugby environment um, yeah, so we, we, we'll have a, you know, I don't know if you can see the soft mats in here, but we'll have these soft mats in our gym and 20 metres or 30 metres marked out, timing gates set up, and we do a stride count time and, and the SWIFT system that um, Mark Fisher created used to auto-calculate the SBI and find that really useful. But I'm pretty sure... Warren invented that, uh, and I think he certainly did. And I know the uh, the original reactive strength index, I'm pretty certain, came from his work. So a lot of that diagnostic stuff used that all the way through my career. I probably have more of a preference for the horizontal stuff now than the vertical, but um, yeah, they were really, really uh, useful.
1: So would that be from a standing start?
0: Yep, yep, it has to be standing start.
1: Okay. Yep. Okay, yep.
0: Yeah, it's easy. It's easy to use. And again, I mean, you, you said you're a, you're a shit runner and whatever, but it like doesn't. If, you, if you're young and your body's still able, go and do it yourself. Any, any of this stuff. And if you want to, we'll get to the Bosch later. But you know, um, while you're young and able, I, I never underestimate the value in experimenting this stuff with your own body before you go to your athletes. Just do it in a quiet place where no one's going to see you, and uh, you won't embarrass yourself. But um, you know, we we we've crikey, I've, I've beaten my body to shreds playing with all these bound indexes and, you know, drop jumps from 30 centimetres from a metre, 1.5 metres, whatever, you know, while you can use your body to experiment. Um, but, yeah, but I think, you know, uh, I like a blend of metrics, you know, for a strength, for the in-between power and pliers, and then when it comes to the, the coordination content, um, that's where you need your eye. That's where you need to train your eye you have very few metrics there
1: so we're just going to take a very quick break in the chat with john so in part two we dive deep into the methodologies of franz bosch and why it's been such an influence in john's practice and how he's taken franz's methodology and really integrated it into various environments whether that be rugby union in japan or currently with the wallabies This episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast is sponsored by Blackbox Fitness. Blackbox Fitness are leaders in performance training equipment and facility design. Blackbox are specialists in designing and building performance facilities for sports teams and strength and conditioning coaches. Blackbox manufacture and distribute a full range of strength training equipment from their headquarters in Belfast right across Europe. If you want to learn more about Black Box, check out their website blackboxfitness.com or follow them on social media at blackboxfitness. And this episode is also sponsored by Kitman Labs. Kitman Labs is sports' first technology company to offer a complete solution that includes innovative analytics and an advanced athlete management platform that is supported by a team of sports technology and data science experts with over 200 years experience. Kitman Labs is leading the evolution of sports performance, partnering with over 150 elite teams across the NFL, NHL, MLB, AFL, EPL and Championship Rugby. Through advanced statistical analysis, rigorous scientific research and unparalleled industry experience, They've architected the world's only analytics platform that helps sports teams to truly harness their data and uncover the influences behind performance optimization and injury risk. To find out more about Kitman Labs, visit kitmanlabs.com or follow them on social media at Kitman Labs. And this episode is also sponsored by Stanta College. Stanta College, led by Dr. Liam Hennessy, provides international recognized qualifications in strength and conditioning and performance science from certificate to master's level. Courses are designed by industry leaders such as Des Ryan and Professor Ian Jeffries, ensuring students and graduates are at the cutting edge of technology and learning the most current methodologies from world-renowned practitioners. Santa College's unique blended learning approach allows you to take the next step in your career in your own time and at your own pace. Lectures are delivered in an online classroom while residential workshops provide the perfect opportunity for practical application of your studies with guidance from experts within the field of sports science and performance coaching. With campus locations across Ireland, the UK, USA, India and South Africa, Applications are now open for courses including the BSc in Strength and Conditioning, MSc in Performance Coaching, and MSc in Applied Sport and Exercise Physiology. Visit stantacollege.com for more information on how to apply. And now back to the interview with John. You mentioned coordination a couple of times and I think there's a bit of a misconception when people say coordination. Training coordination, movement coordination. What does that mean to you? And what did you take away? What were the big takeaways that you got from that Vern visit? When he was saying, obviously complimentary stuff as well, but he was saying these guys, you know, you've got, you've got some work to do. What were the big? What were the big things that you took away and thought? I've got to
0: move. Yeah, so that's a good, good question. So, so for example. I think if if we just look at these were sprinters, right, Um, from 100 to 400 at one 400-meter hurdler. And I was doing such – I mean, they were strong, seriously strong for that time. But I was – the volume and intensity of work I was doing in the gym was leaving such residual fatigue around the pelvis that, you know, a a good runner, if you watch a a good sprinter and the foot comes down, this hip's banging up like that you know, they were just so tight around the pelvis, the pelvis is barely moving. So there's certainly no, you know, sagittal plane movement. And they were just, I think what did Vern called them, Vern called them rectilinear robots or something like that, you know. So he actually, he came out with his music speakers and played some salsa because he lives in Miami and wanted them to do karaoke dancing and just to get their hips moving properly. And I, I thought he was an idiot on day one, but, but he eventually convinced me. And, and so, for example, you know, all of our, anything we did for core strength was always static and high load. So, you know, just getting into gambadas, walk and chop and three-dimensional abdominal kind of work. He was talking about that, you know, this is 96 and, and I didn't really understand, but I could see straight away that there were big gaps in my approach, was, which was very much based in, you know, vertical speed strength assessment and, um, looking at oh, I was still doing some pretty good stuff like we had you know indoor timing gates with instrumented blocks but I just didn't have any comprehension of the role of the abdominals the role of you know hip block pelvic control and Vern introduced that broader idea of um, you know how, how to fill in those gaps because I was pretty comfortable you know was, I was and still am into some Olympic lifting variants and and traditional strength and I think I'm Often perceived as a as a functional coordination guy, I mean, I love my strength, and uh, certainly did at that time. But yeah, I think Vern really was the first one to show me that it wasn't the complete picture. You know, that I, I had some very strong people running people very inefficiently. we were
1: stuck in that first JP head? with it all been about strength and built in the gym?
0: <laughs> oh, oh, oh yeah, of course there are. You yeah, know, of course there are, and. and it's it's tempting, isn't it? Isn't it because it's when you come from that NSCA? No, now everything's modernised and they're obviously much more sophisticated than they were. But it was very very tempting to say, well, you've just got to get your squat up from one hundred and sixty to two hundred and twenty, and you're going to accelerate better. You've just got to get your RSI from two hundred and ten to three hundred, and your top speed's going to be better. That was my mindset, and that was quite sophisticated from a strength point of view, but it just overlooked. You know, um, the mechanisms of force transfer, where energy can be lost, when the foot hits the ground, all those kind of things. So, um, yeah, I'm sympathetic to people who are stuck in that mode. Um, And there's the opposite. There's the people who are doing wimpy little physio exercises with no intensity and – sorry to physios because there's – but, uh, you know, doing low-level stuff and – with insufficient intensity. So you can get caught at either end. And I've been on both. I've been on that boofhead, you know, think I can muscle, muscle the way out of every problem. And I've also gone sometimes too far down the coordination path where it's not accountable in term, in, in the sense that I I need to have a way to be sure that there's intensity in that work and that, that I've got a reasonably good grounds to think that I'll get transfer from it. Um, yeah, of course, there are people who are still like that, and it's the the former is probably more prevalent, prevalent as in strength people, and particularly in the states, I think, um, uh, because it's fundamentally easier to comprehend. If you if you want to go the opposite and go down the coordination path, it's a big investment in your learning, but an even bigger investment in training your eye to be able to manage it, conduct it, and, and qualitatively. Make sure it's you know it's yeah. most likely to have a training transfer. I think
1: that's the key because we, we're all the course aspect of it, and it's having the confidence to be able to go down that route and not have it yep. a number on a sheet, which is easy. Like a number on a sheet, it's it's comfortable, it's it's safe. Yeah,
0: yeah, that's what it, it did. John honestly made us like. It's like it's like pulling your pants down because you you, you know you, you're naked. You then say, okay, well, I'm going to drop my bench, I'm drop my squat, and drop all these numbers. And I'm going to invest in this stuff, but how do I know if it's going to bring me a result? How do I know if I'm teaching it right? It's it's very confronting, and I, and I think that's why a lot of people react. Um, you know, oh, what is this bullshit? And, and you know, I, I understand. It's um, often people, and it's not just the Bosch methods, but there are other people who are pushed down that that path. And um, it's it's inherently more complex. It's it's inherently a little bit. More difficult to understand, and um, so yeah, it's, it's.
1: And we'll get to that. We'll get to that in a just minute. It's not easy. But just before we do get onto that, Eddie Jones, you've mentioned him. He came on in episode 300 with John Clark, which was which was great. <laughs> you had him on, didn't you? Yeah. It was. Yeah, you did uh, it well. Was a, I wasn't confident in getting him on, but I knew I know John, known John for quite a while, JC, and he was uh, he was yeah. kind enough. He was kind enough to put a word in, and we, we made it. Oh, up. okay, so it yeah, was yeah. Absolutely brilliant but what was
0: what... well if JC does another seven years he can talk to me on <laughs> the world record holder I've done seven, nine years with Eddie um, fantastic for me Eddie's Eddie treats an SC coach like one of his senior coaches so he doesn't see I mean often we, we get confused ourselves we're part scientists we're part analysts Eddie sees us as a, a core coach in the, in the coaching environment and therefore he expects us to he expects us to get results and he puts a lot of pressure on, but he's bloody good. He really values the contribution of strength and conditioning to particularly to rugby because I think it's one of the games where your physical capabilities and your method of playing are inextricably interrelated. But Eddie gets that. He was a 70 kilo hooker. who had to eat everything in front of his, <laughs> everything he could to, to be able to play the game and lift weights, you know, so he understands it. And for me, it was a great experience. Uh, but demanding, he would, he would, you know, our main time together was in Japan, Suntory for three, four years, and then the national team for four years, and you know, he'd say, you know, I want him, I want him, I want more muscle, mate, and I want him running faster, and I want him, I want him the fittest. So I had to try and, you know, fixing or what's the word, satisfying Eddie's wish list was tough, and um, and that's where I probably, you know, had to deviate away from any one expert, but try and find a system to provide what he wanted. So for example, you know, we had to put five kilos on per player over a two year period and increase speed and agility and increase endurance and increase, you know, really dynamic small space catch pass. If you're a smaller team, you have to be better at small space agility. So uh, it was great to work for Eddie because he's bloody really supportive of, of SC in the first place. It's, it's high pressure. It's not for everybody. Um, uh, but it was for me, yeah. The fact that Eddie demanded such results, but then backed you up, backed you up, and gave you the resources to do it, yeah, it was, you know, fantastic. My years in Japan were best years of my life, and certainly I think, you know, professionally the best years of my life. Um, and the third part of that was that Japanese blokes, mate, they just do everything you put in front of them. I never had a bloke say this is too hard. I mean, they would, oh they would faint, and literally I hospitalised a few blokes. Wouldn't have even wouldn't have even dared to say you know JP son can I stop now like they wouldn't even ask so uh, you know we had Eddie Eddie's you know he's a if you want to meet a completely committed coach that's that's what it looks like that's what he is so yeah he demanded that from me and and I probably you know got to a level of. Knowledge and performance, so there's no way I would have without his influence. So it was fantastic.
1: And the coaching, that that space that you lived in, and and Eddie demands that you live in, was that was that the push? Yeah, Yeah.
0: no, no, hundred percent. That's that's where I started. That's where I started. I mean, I pretty much my main skill set going to Japan was, yeah, I'm a pretty robust character, so I'm I'm quite good at putting intensity into training i definitely had a skill set in in linear speed and i'm pretty comfortable with boxing and wrestling and that kind of stuff but you know if a, if a winger was flying down the wing and dropped nice. a ball because he was at speed and had to catch it there eddie blames me you know if so then i had to look into you know thoracic range thoracic speed mobility then if a little halfback hasn't got the agility they should have eddie's, eddie's gonna not not blame me but he would say well what can you do about that, JP? Why haven't you fixed that? Why is this bloke still got small arms? Whatever, whatever. But certainly the coordination one, and, and you know, Eddie had a battle plan for the Japan team for the 2015 World Cup two years out, and his battle plan was, you know, Samurai Eyes, ninja body, meaning that we we're always going to be a smaller team, but, but he wanted really sharp, intelligent players, but had to be able to move quicker. So if you're a big bloke, Robin, I'm a small bloke and I'm carrying the ball to you, I don't want to carry it straight and predictable because you're going to skewer me. So we had this idea of vertical speed and lateral speed, very late. And I didn't really know much about agility and that sort of, that type of coordination. So that's when I went and chased Franz Bosch. And uh, yeah, I actually brought him to Japan. We went to a camp in the mountains of Sugodaira, which was our, that was our Mm -hmm. spiritual home. We used to flog guys up there some crazy stuff. but Anyway, I gave Franz two weeks because I didn't want to bring him in and say, just you should do this or you should do that. I just said, okay, you got four blocks of an hour across a week, AM sessions at 5 AM, do what you want. This is what I want. And within two weeks, I was seeing changes in the GPS, mainly in peak accelerations and number of those peak accelerations. Now, this is not coming from SC content. It's coming from the native rugby sessions that Eddie does, but – by the influence of the little pre-activations and coordination work that franz have been taking so um that's not the first time i'd ever heard of him dean benton and i invited him which he was dean dean read the book the original book at wash and Clump and and dino said well let's get him out to australia and i think dino funded it through the broncos got him over there he gave a lecture in australia i did he could have been speaking ancient egyptian <laughs> I'm sure or i'm sure there's know,
1: plenty of people Arabic. i wouldn't have see. known
0: the difference it was really confusing no, no, so I didn't understand anything, but I did know that there was something in there that, that I didn't have. So that this was probably a, almost a four-year gap. So I think I then, yeah, I brought him to Japan, just gave him free reign because it's a really bad idea to get an expert in and then lock them down, you know, to, to, to constrain them. So I let him do whatever, and it was crazy. It was, it was all kinds of movements and exercises I'd never seen. But I did see a shift in some individuals, um, even in that short window. So then, that was that was when I thought, well, I I've got to invest in this. So I started again experimenting with my own body, learning what I could from him. We started corresponding, and then um, I brought him over. For I mean, the good thing about Japan is you have long off seasons. You know, in the club comp, you'll have an eight month off season or seven month off season, so you can really their sea coaches. If you can't get a result, then you're useless because you got these big periods. So. With the national team, we had a, a little – only one advantage over other countries, and that was we had a longer period pre-World Cup because we had five months because we'd play in the Asian Five Nations and then have – you know, so it was a five-month torture camp and I had France there for the first two months. It was, mate. It was – was <laughs> we trained at 5 a.m., 10 a.m. and 4 p.m. And I, I know no rugby team's ever done that in history. Probably never will do. Um, it, it, it was – it was a combination of craziness and, and Eddie's inspiration and many other things. But as far as Franz was concerned, so I just coached with him side by side on some stuff and then kind of observed, learned if I couldn't understand it, I'd zip back to the gym and play around with it myself and slowly built my skill set. And then he took off it was either six or eight weeks. And then I had another three three or four months to go. And, um, you know, I mean, it was a very small staff. I was head of performance. I was also speed coach, strength coach, GPS. I had a lot of cone shifters, but not not many. I had a very very good Japanese strength coach Hiroaki Nitta, who's uh, he was he was an excellent strength coach. So, um, but yeah, I had to do the rehab and I had to carry on what I'd learned from France for that whole prepping. Yeah, that's, that's when I really kind of got a feel for what, what he's teaching and it just added the level of detail around coordination that I didn't have before. So if we go to agility, for example, um, I would previously have just gotten my explosive you know, qualities as high as possible, so your, your VJs or your horizontal and vertical speed strength, and then I would create little change of direction drills, and, and you get a result with that. And I, reckon, I really recommend that if, if that's the stuff you know well and you're comfortable with, get into it and do it with intensity. But what trans offers beyond that is a level of, of detail, you know, and and, this, and specificity around coordination. So, you know, you attractors of agility, foot plant from above, swing leg retraction, you know, I look at upper body first, chest out, all, all this kind of stuff that affects the way the body's transferred, the way force is transferred during running and particularly agility, I could apply that much more scientifically. And so then in his terminology, he would call them prefabs or I call them building blocks. So, for example, I work out which ones I'm going to put in the gym and which ones I'm going to put on the field. So, you know, a lot of guys, when they're accelerating, if you video your players accelerating, you know, ankle stiffness in start and acceleration is often very, very poor. So rather than trying to coach all that when I'm out on the field doing agility exercises, I would say I look at certain prefabs that I use in the gym, so ankle stiffness for start and acceleration, the role of the abdominals in agility, which I previously hadn't really considered, I learned that very much from him and said, okay, well, these ones need to go in the gym. So I do these prefabs in the gym. And when I go out on the field, I'm going to zero in on more specific quality. So I do my acceleration. I do my, so I would go, Eddie and I would work together. So the prefabs are done in the gym and then we might do some bounding in the gym. Then we go out on the field and I'll do some COD races or some acceleration races. Then we might have some more complex you know, stuff. And then they go to 1v1 because you've got to eventually, if you're going to do agility, it's got to become open. You know, we'd go to 1v1 agility, then 2v2, then Eddie would take over and it would be fully um, game-specific. Yeah, have its backs, it might be seven on seven or five on five. But the influence of Franz was that I could just be much more scientific about how I assembled that stuff. And rather than trying to coach everything while we're doing an agility session on the field, it, it allowed me to break it down Um yeah, you know, into prefabs, or I call them building blocks. Um, and yeah, I, I you know, I, I know that I would not have learned that if I hadn't been exposed to him. I would, just, I could have ruminated and thought endlessly, and I would never have come up with that structure. H- having said that, if you ask me about the influence of Bosch and I had to um, put a value on my first value of it is is injury, soft tissue reduction. I don't want to jinx myself, but I've had I've had very very good soft tissue stats now across three countries and you know three or four programs deploying Frans as prefabs and and using that stuff not to the exclusion of strength. I mean, I'll always my athletes will always be strong. <laughs> um, I'm a closet meathead myself, just a bit old and scrawny these days, but. You know not to the exclusion of strength but complementing my strength. So, for example, in my 60 minute strength session, you know, I will always attribute a minimum of 12 to 15 minutes for our coordination block. If I can, I'll have So, if there's you know 21 forwards in the gym, seven will come in for that 12 to 15 minute block at a time, and I can make that either positionally specific or individually specific. So, you watch 10 guys run, you know, there might be three or four guys that have just got horrible ankle stiffness, complete, you know, just completely collapsing into extreme dorsiflexion, no you know, ankle stiffness at all. So I might, those guys might be grouped, and they might do some specific work around that, which, you know, and then I'll have other guys who are on different targets. So I, I've done that ever since, is to attribute at least that amount of time. And if I have early morning training, which I generally do in most of my programs, I'll put some of the coordination work in there. Um, but from the influence of France, uh, yeah, I definitely have gotten better results in speed and agility but above that I would rank the reduction in soft tissue because I mean statistically speaking having your best players on the field is is statistically more potent than you know optimizing a 0.1% um, you know of vmax or accel or agility so yeah I mean yeah we could we could talk a whole hour on 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 and stuff alone but um, if you are going to invest in it, it's a big investment and you've got to take your time and, and build your skill set out, build the exercises out as you understand them, as you've practised them, you know, do his course if, if, you, if you're able to do his course. Um, yeah, so I mean I, I, mean, I have some – I have a lot of people asking me uh, about using his methodologies and I say, well, yeah, it's changed my career for the better, but it was a big investment. To get
1: to the point where i can use it uh, just going <clears throat> yeah excuse me going right back to the, the start of the, that that franz bosch piece that you just just uh, articulated very well there you said about focusing on the things that you know and if that's where you're at i think you mentioned the change change, uh, change direction uh sessions that you put on before yep. you got into the franz bosch stuff and saying that if that's where you are like fo- focus on that and nail that what did that actually look like just to get just a frame what you were doing before and then we'll go Absolute. on to how that's changed yeah. specifically
0: yeah i mean so so cod as opposed to agility so i had five meter agility stars where you it's just simple a five meter pattern that repeats itself so you end up running 40 meters of five meter segments we run those fast you know, and timing you in, timing you out, so a good guy is going to get 9.8 seconds, a slow person's going to get 12. So I would have just simple little COD, probably five or six different patterns that we ran regularly, um, one I call turn and burn, where if I'm facing you, you're five metres away from me. There's a pole five metres out that way, and if someone calls right or left, you bang out there, then bang back. It's COD, but it's intensity. And then underpinning that is going to be all the strength qualities in the gym. You know, uh, lateral jumps, vertical jumps, wherever I can get metrics on those, I'm going to get metrics on those. If you do that well, and if you do that with intensity and, and the right volume, you still you still can make a difference. You know, and if you're if it's a 50-50 call on doing those ones that you can understand and you can control intensity, or something a bit vague, or you're going to swing a ball around your head and do that and take off, you know, stick with what you know. I, I do I do encourage people. You know if they're inclined to to invest in in his work because it's um yeah it's it's you know it's brilliant really and and it's it will lead you to you know if you talk think about a, a you might have a, a v8 car but you're driving on flat tires and and franz understands the science of those flat tires and the regions in the body where you can be losing energy you know he's got a beautiful excel template that you know up the top there's you know, general power, and then you've got, you know, ankle stiffness, you've got uh, frontal plane, hip lock, you've got all these different categories where energy might be either optimised or actually lost in any running sprint, be it start and acceleration or agility. So you look across the top here and you're thinking, well, okay, general power is one of those categories, which is the one we all go to, but we could be losing energy at the ankle, we could be losing energy at the hip, the abdominals could simply not be capable of of stabilising the body to allow a dramatic change of direction.
1: At this point in the conversation, we had a little bit of a hiccup with the internet. When we got John back, the audio wasn't as good as it was before. However, the information most certainly was. I'm going to kick us back off with asking you about, specifically, when you're looking at ankle stiffness, and you've mentioned that a couple of times, so clearly that's a a common issue that you're seeing. How are you training that with the influence of of Franz's methodology?
0: so for, for starters, I didn't use to train it. I would do sprints, and, and I didn't I didn't really look at the ankle much at all, um, as, as an area. I mean, and and, and there'd be good there'd be good sprint coaches who would listen to this and say, "Well, you idiot," you know. It was much less sophisticated at that time. But but you know, the where it started for me was Eddie selected in Japan. Eddie selected an ex rugby league guy called Craig Wingers, tough tough bastard, tough rugby league player, very good player, but he must have been 34 and then converted to rugby union. He played three or four games in two seasons. Calf, calf injury, calf injury, hamstring, calf, hamstring, in, in sequence, couldn't take the field. Eddie wanted to pick him, and I said, Eddie, Eddie the bloke's busted. he hasn't played. And he said, he's tough, mate, I want him. <laughs> so I've got to try and fix him. And, um, you know, first thing, I video him, you know, side-on video, and, and Franz looks at it straight away and says, OK, you know, he's collapsing into deep dorsiflexion. there's absolutely no, you know, no ankle stiffness there. And then, you know, you look at him running at, at speed. He had, had a, quite a few hamstring injuries as well. So I'm nervous because this guy's important to Eddie and he hasn't done anything above 50% running speed. So Franz, get him on the oval, gets him barefoot. Okay, okay, run as fast as you can and try to overstride. So this guy's barefoot and I'm shitting myself because I'm thinking, you know, he's going to bust this guy who Eddie wants. Anyway, um, you know, Franz can speak for himself on the complexities of this stuff. But the first thing was very obvious. If we just look at the ankle, he's completely collapsing in dorsiflexion, deep dorsiflexion. There's no elasticity around the ankle joint whatsoever. So Franz explains to me the difference between, you know, ankle stiffness for start and acceleration, ankle stiffness for top speed. They're a little bit different. So then I'll have three or four exercises for ankle stiffness for start and acceleration. So we're doing a lot of work, up steps, some bare feet work, Stick on the back, switching legs, switching front and back. It's probably difficult to do without, you know, without a full video session. But then, I, now I have, now I have three or four exercises in my armory, which I can be done either, you know, in the gym setting. So prefabs, ankle stiffness prefabs, starting acceleration, we get to work. And he does 20 minutes of that, you know, and tw- and, and and his hamstrings were not strong, you know. So we, so there was no. I mean, really, you, you guys were all. Either you're either in the Nordic camp or you're in the Bosch camp or you're in the RDL camp. I, I'm, I'm an agnostic. I, I'm not, I don't get terribly caught up in all that. But the guy's hamstrings are weak by any stretch. And then, then you look at the pelvis. His pelvis, is, he's got no control of his pelvis. So at toe-off, completely forward collapse of the pelvis. So all of these regions of the body, and, and he's a strong, he's like a little nugget of a bloke. You, you know, he'd knock your ass over if he tackled you. Strong. <laughs> strong but coordination in those key regions so he's losing energy at the ankle hamstrings are weak it's completely he's got no control of his pelvis and so so Fran zeroes in on this teaches me you know the prefabs around the ankle how his approach to hamstring strength and then the kind of drilling he thinks will connect that hamstring strength to the running gait then we look at you know um, ankle stiffness for top speed which is a little bit different um, and then we start building these prefabs. And, and it's, you know, again, for me, it was pretty crazy looking stuff. But then I start seeing this guy move better and better. Um, and again, to be able to do what, what Fran said, he said, well, run as fast as you can barefoot, try and overstride. Well, when you're barefoot, you know, he can explain it probably better than I could. But, you know, the, being barefoot and being on grass, you know, your body's is a natural probably fear of foot slipping forward so that all of a sudden you get this swing leg retraction. He's ripping his feet back. I'm seeing this swing leg retraction I've never seen in this guy before. Um it's not it's not magic like that. It didn't happen in one session. But um the process is what is is there's no way in the world I would have broken it down. I, I might have, you know, if I had a look deeper I might have looked at that video and said, yeah, pretty pretty weak at the ankle, but I wouldn't have then been able to specifically um, to the prefabs or the exercises to address that and, and um, you know that's that's what his methodology can provide but it's not I'm not saying it's it's the only way because there are other speed coaches around who might have a very good feel for that stuff but um, you know what Franz also taught me was you know the concept of positive running and that is that you know at toe-off that the pelvis doesn't collapse forward and that if you if you develop positive running, there's a net gain there in terms of running speed, but also the capability of being able to shift laterally, you know, really quickly. If the pelvis is rocks forward or toe off, you haven't you haven't got the preconditions for that. So, um, you know, on the back of exposure to him, we just built this simple library of stuff that I could deploy on a needs basis. So for example, we decided to you know, everyone thought that Japan was really quick, but they're actually not, it's just that we are smaller and zip around I didn't have much in the way of top speed so we zeroed in on um, uh, for the forwards just in simple accelerations so he he has templates so I use the acceleration template for them and an agility template for the backs so in any strength session you know again we have that 12 to 20 minutes of prefabs doing all these coordination prefabs then we have the main body of our strength and keep in mind these are little skinny guys who need to put on five kilos of muscle. So we're actually getting up at five in the morning and doing 20 minutes of guns, 20 minutes of trap work, you know. So whilst, you know, whilst I cop a lot of shit for doing the fancy Bosch stuff, you know, we're also doing huge volumes of hypertrophy. Um, and to, to do all that without the residual fatigue, I had to kind of microdose everything, microdose the coordination, microdose the hypertrophy. Um, yeah, so it, it's basically that there may be other people around, but for me... Friends introduced a systematic way to improve coordination and to reduce energy loss. And I think that's, um, I hadn't seen that before and I haven't seen it, you know, I haven't seen anyone else doing it. Um, but I'm not saying that there isn't, it's just, again, I, I, I'd rather stick to a few people I learned from, you know, I learned from Franz, I learned from Warren, I learned from Vern. I, I would rather stick to that and learn it really well rather than keep chasing after people who I don't have much exposure to because I'm, I'm not a quick learner and I'm certainly not a good I'm not a, a quick minded reader. I can read ten pages of his book and still think I'm a dumb bastard. You know. But I am once I get a feel for something and I then I can really add intensity to it. And I think I, I have three words I use if you want to use friends as exercise, validity, intent, intensity. So validity means if you start if you create an exercise and you you're running up with a bag on your back and stopping in position validity means you need to know what that exercise is relating to. You know, is it relating to the role of the abdominals in agility? Is it related to, you know, forward rotation of the pelvis and, and get, trying to eliminate or reduce that? Is it related to, you know, ankle stiffness and starting... You need you need to know that. And then you need the intent and the intensity means I see a lot of athletes, people trying to create trans exercise and they'll do this and that. Well, what's the intention of the athlete? You know, they need a clear intention of that movement, where it starts, where it finishes, what a successful outcome is... And there's lots of ways of doing that but you need to be able to make that clear. And then the third part is intensity. You know, how do you modulate and drive the intensity of those exercises? Is it the speed of movement? So it's either speed pressure, force pressure or coordination pressure. Um, so that, that's quite difficult and that's why I say, you know, build your skill set off friends and stuff very slowly if you're gonna do it. Don't just jump on Twitter and someone else has got a lovely a lovely hurdle spindle with a with a, with a halo on top, you know, do it methodically. But you know, the course is available online now uh, with his stuff. If, if you're interested in that, um, yeah. But for me, it, for me, it gave me a systematic approach to movement efficiency and a systematic approach to agility, which I didn't, I didn't have before.
1: I've got one more question for you. I know you've got athletes coming in, in five or ten minutes. So I'm going to make it reasonably quick. What's sure. the biggest mistakes that you see? Is it one of them three? Is it all of them three when you when you see people? I don't know, um, swinging things around the head and, and trying to drive the hip onto a, onto a box. Is it the intensity that's missing? Sorry, is it the intent that's missing? Is it the validity in terms of they're just thinking that this links to something when it doesn't and just getting a little bit too ahead of themselves? Is there any specific mistakes that you see?
0: No, I think it could be any of the three. That, okay. that, they, that they, you know, they don't know which category it fits in and therefore yep. what, what are the key points, what are the key rules of execution. Um, and, you know, look, just occasionally I'll, I'll stumble across, across some, some people who have had very limited exposure to him but who are a hell of a lot smarter than me and who have designed really good stuff on the back of just reading the books and, and so forth, but for me that's incomprehensible because I I simply could not get to that point of designing, executing and controlling quality of those movements without, um, you know, the in-person exposure or at least a video library and and explanation. I mean, I I probably did a bit of damage, really, because when I was in Japan and had any success with those methodologies, I I would post stuff, because I was so busy working for Eddie, I'd post stuff, but post it without explanation. And so I'm just introducing exercises, but not telling anyone exactly... And it looks cool, right? I mean, it looks kind of shiny and new and interesting, and and, and I probably did some damage in, you know, throwing that stuff up and not explaining with those videos. This is what I'm trying to do, and these are the key things that make this either good quality or, or poor quality. So, um, I don't think that's exclusive to Bosch's methodology. It probably applies to any sort of higher level um, movement content. But, um, yeah, the, the, the guys who I've seen, you know, do well without close relationship with friends, which is, which is a, you know, an exposure to him, which is a big advantage, just build out slowly.
1: Um, who, who are the other guys that are nailing this? Well, you're into football, aren't you? Yeah? You're into football? Soccer, yeah, yeah, football, yeah. yeah.
0: I'm calling it football. I'm being respectful. Yeah, Lee Erger, <laughs> the young. Yeah, so it's a, it's a good example. Lee is a young guy. I don't know what his team is. It's uh, it's in Belgium. Belgium and Holland. If he said the okay. name, I'll know. It's yeah. one, of, one of the big um, teams in Europe.
1: Fi- not Feyenoord.
0: Feyenoord. He's a fine Feyenoord, Feyenoord. Right?
1: Yeah, yeah. Okay. So
0: I'll give you the story. Lee was probably 12 or 13. His mum sent, sent him to me for speed training. And... Um, He's, he's naturally the slowest kid I've ever trained. Um, but fit, can run for days, centre-back, good, good smart player, good skill set, good smart player, just too slow. And, and I used all my traditional speed stuff and yeah, a little bit of improvement, but not that much. Um, and, and then sadly for him, you know, he got to 18, 19, he did, became a, did human movement, then did physio. Got to his sort of young 20s and then we started using Bosch methodologies and his on-field speed. Like, ability to, to run this way, looking over his shoulder, trying to mark his attack, those things changed. And there's no way I was going to improve that. And so, you know, he's had that experience, been trained by me since he's 12 or 13, and then had a physical experience with Bosch's stuff and now lives over there and pretty much is in Bosch's pocket, you know, most weekends when he's not with Feyenoord. So he's he's excellent. Young guy. Um, I, I, you know, if you, wanted to, if you wanted to drill down into detail on Bosch's stuff and you can't get Franz, then talk to him or Toon Thomason is one of... You know, Toon and Paul Venner are his main acolytes. Um, at least good because he's, he's had a physical experience himself. Okay. You know, he's a footballer who squeezed the lemon, mate. He squeezed it until there was puffs of smoke coming out. Got every bit of speed out of his body and every bit of power he could muster. And um, so, yeah, I think talk to him if you're into football and, and you want someone who's, you know, pushed the traditional methodology as far as possible... Then learned Franz's system as an athlete, and then learned it as a physio. So yeah, he's um, yeah, he's a young whippersnapper and a bit a bit cocky as all young men are. But he's, yeah, he'd be he'd be great for you to chat to him, mate because he he's now flying at Faye Nord. He's he's done a couple of interesting, you know, ACLs, uh, rehabs using Franz's methodologies, and had guys moving really well at the end of it. So yeah, check him out.
1: Amazing, cool. Well, I know you've got some athletes coming in, so I'm going to uh, I'm going to wrap up. But if anyone wants to get in touch with you, JP, is there any? I know you said you're not a big Twitter man after from a couple of years ago, but is is that somewhere people can get in touch with you? Uh, I throw I,
0: I throw a few offerings up on speedpowerplay.com, and we have a, a YouTube channel in the same name, to speed power play. Okay. Um, yeah, I um, I don't put much on Twitter because I, I actually don't feel smart enough to to impart my wisdom in 20 characters or whatever the fuck that you're allowed to. <laughs> But on Twitter, I'm just, I am just—I think I'll leave that stuff for Ladello Lama, you know. Um, but, yeah, I'll look on um, Speed Power Play. I'll throw a bit of free stuff up. I'm hoping to put more free stuff up. Um, yeah, you can catch me through that. I think on, on Twitter, I'm Fit3K, which is my original business name. And I've got a okay. Speed Power Play account there as well.
1: Lovely. Well, stick around. I'm just going to have a little brief chat with you afterwards, but I'll let you go. Um, but thank you very much officially for... For coming on it's been an absolute pleasure to speak to you and uh we'll catch up soon
0: pleasure,
1: cheers JP. bye tuned into to this episode of the Pacey Performance podcast and once again thank you to John for giving up his time and coming on for a chat. Next week we have a practitioner who has worked in the English Premier League in the NFL and also the NHL so make sure you press subscribe on your chosen podcast player and I will speak to you next week